Andreas. Thanks so much for tuning in to NL News Day. It is Monday, the first day of the work week. So as always, pleased to welcome to the program Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you doing here on this Monday? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, always appreciate your time. All right, I wanted to start with uh, an incident that occurred. It was almost a couple of weeks ago here now, but it was uh, just kind of surfacing uh, from what I saw anyway over the last couple of days. Uh, It seems to me, and this is just my general comments on this, but I feel like we're seeing an increase in human encounters with wildlife recently. I'm not really sure that it's actually any more than normal, but it just, it feels like that's the case. We're seeing an increase in bear sightings here in Kamloops. Uh, We know about the Stanley Park coyotes. I mean, it just feels like more of these situations are making the news lately. And so to kind of go off of that theme, a dog owner literally hacked a cougar to death with a machete near West Kelowna on September the 22nd after the cougar attacked his dog and that was all caught on video. The attack later posted to YouTube on September the 27th. It is pretty graphic, so if anyone's thinking of looking it up, there's my little um, warning to you. It is not necessarily the easiest thing to take in. Now, it says that the man killed this cougar lawfully. That's according to the Conservation Officer Service. Uh, determined that he was the victim of an attack on his dog. The dog, unfortunately, has been reported dead as well due to the injuries sustained from this attack. Now, the reason I wanted to ask you about this, Kyla, is because, you know, there's probably situations where killing wildlife in this kind of a manner would be illegal. But I imagine any time that your own canine in this situation is under attack, do you, as a dog owner always have the right to protect your animals from from a wildlife attack? You do have the right to protect your animals from a wildlife attack. The attack has to be legitimate, though. It can't be just the possibility that an animal is going to attack. So you can't go preemptively strike an animal in order to prevent them from maybe attacking your your pet or your your animal. Um, There has to be some sort of legitimate basis to believe that there is an imminent threat posed by that animal. So what what do you, when you say legitimate threat i mean how how legitimate are we talking like because because oftentimes we see especially on a cougar attack in this kind of a situation where it feels like it's threatening but threatening doesn't necessarily mean an attack it could just be protecting its um you know its its own personal area that it that it lives in or something like that i i don't know exactly the the behavior of cougars but you know there's probably certain situations where you have to almost wait for it to really be posing imminent danger as opposed to just kind of being a, a, a little bit of a threat. Like, I'm just trying to gauge exactly how far one can go before having to actually wait for a bite to occur. Well, what the court and and conservation officers will look at when investigating these issues or when determining them um, in if there is a charge laid for destroying a piece of wildlife, um, the the court will look at what was reasonable in the circumstances. So a reasonable person standing in the shoes of the individual who caused the harm to the wildlife, um, what would they have perceived as a result of that situation? It doesn't require perfection. It doesn't require necessarily that you were right. It just has to be that your belief was reasonable 
possible based on the information before you. And most people aren't experts in the way wildlife behaves. You know, there's a big difference between running into a black bear versus a grizzly bear. Mm -hmm. But are you even going to be able to identify if you're not familiar with wildlife, a black bear versus a grizzly bear when you're in the woods? A bear is a bear. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might be perceived to be threatening when it's doing something that is perfectly normal behavior for bears that isn't threatening. And so it's asking, uh, asking the individual to behave in a way that is reasonable given the totality of the circumstances. Are, are people generally given the, the benefit of the doubt, given that, you know, in this instance, everything was caught on camera, so it was pretty easy to find out, but that's probably not going to be the situation for most people, right? That's not going to be the situation for most people. And in most circumstances, um, individuals are not going to have it on camera. They're going to be often alone or in a secluded area with no witnesses to provide their version of events. Um, So it does sometimes become sort of a a test of the person's credibility or veracity. Thankfully, these incidents are relatively rare. And so we don't see a lot of people um, investigated in circumstances where there was a specific threat to them or their property as a result of a wild animal that they needed to act to protect. And many of the cases that we do see involving conservation investigations for killing of wildlife involve the killing of wildlife that is not threatening, like deer or or animals that don't pose harm to individuals or their pets. Um, I don't have an example of anything that this would necessarily apply to off the top of my head, but if, like, for example, a, a, a species that you encounter is in danger, does that really change how an investigation is handled? It does change how the investigation is handled. If you're dealing with a, an animal that's uh, endangered or an animal that is uh, in, in critical um, uh, condition, then the government and, and the government's agents, conservation officers, are going to be more stringent in the investigation and apply a higher standard to scrutinizing the evidence um, than you would see with some animal that is much more common. Um, they're going to do a lot more to investigate uh, the killing of a Vancouver Island marmot than the killing of a deer, for example. Let's just say, to wrap up this conversation here, if if something happens, someone's out camping, right, there probably is another month or so right now where if you are out in the bush that you might encounter some wildlife, maybe you're out there with your dog, and then something happens, and, you know, you, you are forced to take action into your own hands. Hopefully that's not the case, but in the case that it does happen, do you have any advice for what people should do just to make sure the investigation can go as easily as possible? Uh, Well, the first thing you should do is not try and cover up the Mm -hmm. fact that you killed a a wild animal. That can get you in about as much trouble as as the actual killing can. Um, If something like this happens, report it right away um, because you do have obligations to report these types of situations. Make good notes about what happened as as soon as possible while it's fresh in your mind um, so that you can refer to them and so that you can uh, rely on them going forward. Um, And make sure that uh, that you preserve any relevant evidence that you have if you used a weapon of some sort, even a rock or a stick that you find on the ground, make sure to keep that and turn it over to conserva- conservation officers so that they can inspect it. And if you can film it, that probably makes things way easier as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you can film anything, it's always <laughs> easier to preserve the record that way. Absolutely. All right, shifting gears here now, Kyla, because we are into October. Today being October the 4th, I always feel it's worthwhile to have even a brief chat about snow tires or winter tires. Um, now that you know we have seen the calendar flip into the spooky month that is October, um, you are required on all highways, at least in the interior in northern BC, uh, to have those snow tires on. 
what happens if some if if you don't have those tires on? Like, are people generally are police out there checking your tires to make sure that when you enter a highway and you get onto the entrance ramp that you actually have snow tires on? Or when does this really become something that uh, could be you could get in trouble for? Because I imagine it's not just you know a random check that's going on. There are, in fact, random checks that go on uh, to determine whether or not somebody has uh, snow tires. They're not incredibly common, um, but every year there are a couple of, of roadblocks or random stops that take place just for the purposes of verifying whether somebody has the right tires on their vehicle. Um, but for the most part, what you're going to expect to see is commercial vehicle safety enforcement officers enforcing this by and large when it comes to the commercial vehicles and the rules related to those. Um, and those tickets are incredibly common. They can be very expensive and you you want to make sure if you're a commercial driver that you familiarize yourself with the rules that apply to you because they're different than the rules that apply to your average everyday driver. Right. Um, but you can be stopped and the police can stop you to check that your vehicle is in compliance with the Motor Vehicle Act. So uh, they can stop you randomly just to look at your tires and determine whether or not they comply and whether or not they're the correct tires for the driving conditions and for this time of year. Now, if you are caught without the proper tires, at least for, you know, people out there like myself who are just using their car to get from point A to point B, this isn't a commercial activity by any stretch, um, you could face a fine of up to $121. I guess, does that um, get worse if, or, or how, how, if you were found to be in a collision and you don't, didn't have snow tires on, what, what happens then? Because I imagine that changes things a, a little bit outside of just a $120 fine. You know what? Thankfully, I guess one of the benefits of the no-fault insurance system in BC now uh, is that if you were found to not have the correct tires on your vehicle, it doesn't really change how the, uh, the collision is determined. Um, it used to be that if you were in a collision, you could be found to be at fault mm -hmm. uh, based on the fact that you didn't have the correct tires and that may have caused or contributed to the collision. Um, but now that the laws have changed, it actually doesn't have a significant impact on a collision. Um, but ICBC can conduct investigations to determine whether you were in compliance uh, with your obligations as a driver and in certain circumstances can rely on your deliberate failure to comply with provisions of, uh, of the Motor Vehicle Act requirements of your license um, in order to say that you are breached on your insurance conditions. Um, I expect that we may see ICBC shifting towards investigating more people for a breach by not having the correct equipment on their car. Hmm. Interesting. Well, um, easiest thing to do is just get snow tires put on your vehicle, and then you don't have to worry about it. But, of course, exactly. not everyone can necessarily, uh, well, no, just book your appointment, and we'll leave it at that. All right, yeah. Kyla, thanks so much for your time, as always. Really appreciate this. Have a great rest of your Monday, and we'll chat soon. Thanks for having me. Always. There you go. Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee.